uh, Worthington Church, Grace Church. I got to tell you, I, um, I, they said, would you come, a couple weeks ago, they said, would you come on a short notice? And, and I wouldn't miss a chance to hang with you guys. I, I was with the men's group here, and you guys are fun, crazy fun, and great hearts. And this has been really a thrill to be back. And so since that time, I've prayed for you and for this time, that it wouldn't just be, um, you know, give them 30 minutes, four, three points in a poem, right? And then you send you on your way. Really, my prayer today was that God would literally breathe upon this place and somehow take my puny words, and it's not a book report, but somehow that he would speak through this time. I love what it says in the New Testament, that it will not just be mere words, but it'll be power, Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. So that's what I prayed for today. And God, I ask for you to now to do your work that only you can do. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, I pray they'll be acceptable because they'll be directed by you and authored by you, that we participate in your purpose right now. Thank you for this group of people, and I pray that you will open hearts like you did with Lydia in the book of Acts. I pray that you will open minds like you did with the disciples when you opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. I pray this time will be your time, and I'm simply an instrument. I'm simply your, your voice. May you speak through this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know that there's nothing um, more boring than religion? Sorry. There's nothing more, more boring than religion. You mean going through literally a, a ritual. You know what I mean? Ritual where you, you, you get handed out a list of these are God's rules and just behave and shape up and do your best and show up every week and put your, punch your card and put your hour in and recite your prayers and memorize a few creed things. There's nothing more, in my mind, there's nothing more boring than that. But I have discovered a secret in my life. There's nothing more exciting, truly more exciting, more dynamic than a real, alive, dynamic, relational connection with Jesus Christ who's not simply watching me. He's literally doing something through me. I call it a secret because the Bible calls it, there's a secret. And this morning, I want to share with you the secret that really was transformational in my life. Because before that, I was a churchgoer. I believed in Jesus. I was born again. But it was a little bit boring. So before I start and tell you what I think that the secret has been in my life and and present that to you, I think we should do an assessment in our own life. Because in this place today, sitting here, you're one of three possibilities. Ready? You're either dead or you're defeated or you are dangerous to the enemy of God. One of those three. What I mean, when I say by dead, I mean the Bible says you're dead when you haven't really come to a, a genuine relationship to Christ. The Bible says you're dead in your trespasses and sins. There's a Jesus that did his work on the cross and offered it to you as a gift, but you've never really accepted it. You might nod your head to it, but Jesus Christ has never been more than the uh, patron saint of your ideas. He's not the resident king of your life. He's just not. You've never come to that relational connection with Christ. So the Bible says that you would be dead in your trespasses and sins. To me, I... uh, You could actually think you're alive and actually be a charter member of a church. The Bible says that um, in the, if you remember in the, in the book of uh, Revelation chapter 3, the church of Sardis, they had a reputation for being alive, right? That means if, if, if people said, what do you do on Sunday while well, I go to this church? In fact, I volunteer. I, I, I did the VBS. I taught their Sunday. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're, but you're dead. You have activity, but you don't really have the impact of Christ's life in you. So you you could be somebody that's participating in this place and never truly, genuinely to becoming alive. Possible. The Bible says in the last days, people will come before God and say, Lord, Lord, did, did, I, did I not, did I, on that day, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, God says, Jesus says, I never knew you. I, 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 was for, I know who you are, but I, we weren't related. We weren't connected. You never came to a saving relationship with me. You were fond of me, 
you declared my word, you did my stuff, but you never really crossed over from death to life. That, that's possible, right? That's possible. So you could be dead. Or you could be defeated. Defeated. John Ortberg said this, For most of us, the great danger as Christians is not that we will renounce our faith. The greatest danger is that we might settle down for a mediocre version of our faith. You know what? Mediocre version. Remember the movie, The Incredibles? Remember that movie? Mr. Incredible. In fact, you look, this is how he's introduced. He was designed for a supernatural, incredible life. He was going to be a superhero. But here's what the superhero has all this capability. He's living a very ordinary life. Ordinary life. He has all the capabilities of being Mr. Incredible, but he's living an ordinary life. If you have Christ within you, if you come to Christ, you may, be, you may have become a Christian, but you're living an ordinary life. You've never unleashed this supernatural power that God has given you. He, so, so somehow, how defeated he might feel. That I, that I have all this, that I was designed for, they tell me I was designed for this superhuman thing to somehow change the world, that I'm living kind of an ordinary life. Daniel 11.32 says, us as Christians, it says, those who know their, their God, those who know their God, relationally know him, they will be strong and do exploits. I love that word, exploits. Would you like to do exploits? I looked up the word exploits. Exploits. It says, bold, daring feats. Productive use. If you're in here and you have breath in your body and you receive Christ, but you are not seeing bold, dynamic things, but you say, I really did receive Christ. You may be alive, but something's missing because you're not living that exploit life where you're impacting a world. We were made to live out our destiny to make productive impact let God make use of our life to impact the world. You want to mess up the minds of your kids? You want to mess them up? I'll give you a guarantee. Just live a defeated Christian life around them. You know what I mean? I mean, rear them in a stiff, joyless, legalistic, hear the rules, behave. We just go to church because... And you scream all the way at church and you sit through it and stand up, sit down, raise your hands, and then you go home and don't live any kind of different kind of life. You want to wreck them? Go ahead and do that. That's why statistically they, they leave church at 18. They're gone. They don't, they don't enter back in. Because I think that Christianity isn't really taught. Primarily it's caught. Right? You, they watch you. They watch you. You're rising up and you're lying down. They watch you. In Revelation 2, talking about defeat, he says to the church of Ephesus, he says, you've lost your first love. I don't know if you remember, some of you are not dead. You know, you definitely came alive. You remember the time when you received Christ, so like I did, right? Jesus came in my life. That was kind of an exciting moment, wasn't it? For some of you, right? Like, wow, what just happened, right? What just happened? If something's going to happen. God, I want to serve you, and I'm going to do these great things. And, but they lose their first love. So, so defeated is that we're just not passionate about it anymore. Can you imagine a husband saying to his wife, baby, I, I just don't really love you that much anymore, but I am going to hang out with you, and I will pay the bills, and I will mow the lawn, and, and I will paint the house, and uh, we'll just conduct uh, the business of home. That's defeated. That's just defeated. I will go to church. I will serve on that board. I will do that stuff. But I, it's not passion. I'm just doing it a little bit out of duty. Right? That'd be boring. Right? You lost your first love. You know, Jesus describes it as Christians in Matthew 15. He says, they honor me with their lips, but their heart are far from me. These are people that, they got all the lingo down. Right? They got the church lingo down. They can say the right stuff. But it's just, it's not a hard thing. Right? You know what God wants today in this place? 2 Chronicles 16, 9 says, The eyes of the Lord travel to and fro throughout this whole place and the whole world. He says, looking for a heart. He's looking for a heart that is perfect, that he, that he might, perfect towards him, that he might show himself strong on your behalf. Did you hear what he said? The eyes of the Lord in this place are scanning this room right now. 
And some of you, he's going, boy, I wish I had their attention right now, right? He's looking for a heart that's perfect towards him. Now, he didn't say, I'm looking for a perfect person because he wouldn't find one. He's looking for a heart that's perfect. You know what a perfect heart from God's point of view is? A needy heart. God, we need you every hour. We need... That's a perfect heart. God, I can't do this without you. God, I need you. I'm, I'm desperate for you. That's what he's looking for. Perfect heart. In the, the book of Hosea, chapter 7, he describes defeated people spiritually. In Hosea chapter 7, he said, you're slack bows. Any bow hunters here? Oh, not one. Great. Um, <laughs> my best friend is Matt McPherson. He makes the best bow in the world. And he's a Christian guy. And he, um, I never hunted in my life. And so I have a bow that uh, he gave me because I said, my dad wasn't a hunter. There's no way I'd ever do it. So he actually got Olympic gold medalist Rod White. He said, uh, I'm going to train you. For a couple of days, so I got trained by an Olympic gold medalist. I'm going to give you a bow, and we're going to buy your camo, and we're going to have you wash in this soap that smells like dirt, right? And then he said, you're going to sit up in a tree and wait for a deer. I said, for how, how long? He said, and you can't talk. I said, for how long? He said, for hours. I said, this is going to be terrible. <laughs> really? Really? This is going to be terrible. I'm up there for the first hour going, God, just bring a deer, do something, God, because I'm going to go stir crazy up in this tree. And I had a bow, and, and, uh, and he had a cameraman above me that he brought out. And all of a sudden, I hear the camera go on, so I thought something must be happening. And here's a big deer, and I shoot a deer, and it drops 10 feet. On, in fact, I missed first, and he turns sideways, now try to get me. Boom, kill a deer. Now, sorry about you if you love deer, but that was the first one I ever did. My heart was pounding, so I kind of finally, for the first time, understand what, what hunting was all about. But I had a bow that had some power. Boom, dropped it 10 feet on a, on a four-wheeler trail. It was, this is, this is nothing. So now I'm a hunter. <laughs> and if I had a slack bow, there'd be no punch, no power. I don't even know why you'd have it. You'd maybe hang it on the wall. That's what defeated is. No impact. Slack bow. Uselessly frustrating. Remember the apostle uh, John and describes Christians as lukewarm. You're just lukewarm. You know, Jesus is just all right with me, right? That's all. You're just lukewarm. You're not really like wide open for Jesus because I don't want to be crazy, right? You're not just cold. You're not like saying I don't go to church anymore and I'm not running off with the you know, person down the street. I'm just lukewarm. Can you imagine if I told my wife, baby, you're just all right. I'd get punched in the throat. No, she would never do that. Would you? No. C.S. Lewis once said, he said, uh, the only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. The only thing Christianity, real Christianity, I mean, what it's supposed to be, it, it can't be moderately important. That's the one thing it cannot be. The Apostle Paul says this. He said, um, by now you guys should be teachers, but you're infants in Christ. Uh, here's what defeated is. You've never gone beyond the ABCs of your salvation. You, you prayed a prayer and you never really have discovered that, Je- that God who died for you wants to do something spectacular in your life. So you've settled for a dumbed down version of Jesus. I used to have a group of guys and I, and I would say, you guys are like guys that say, give me just six bucks worth of Jesus. I'm good. I want some Jesus, but give me about six bucks worth, right? You don't have to, Not a full tank. I just, just give me six bucks worth, right? They were uh, infants in Christ. They were stumbly in their spiritual walk. They, they didn't really feed themselves on... They, they were still doing the ABCs of Christianity because they couldn't really get the meat of the word, right? They, they just weren't able to do that. That's, that's, that's living defeated. Well, not right away when you come to Christ, but if you're 15 and you're still in diapers, that's probably a bad deal, right? That's called protracted infancy. That's defeated. That's what it means. Do you know that you can have a saved soul but still live a wasted life? Do you know this? This is, this is interesting. You can have a saved soul, but you could waste your life. I'll give you the verse. 2 Peter chapter 1. For this very reason, make every effort to add your faith goodness to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness love, which are all fruits of, that come from abiding in the Spirit, right? They're not humanly produced. Those are not like our things, but it's our, it takes our cooperation with that. He said, for if you do not possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you ineffective, unproductive. You know what? That was my life for years. I was a Christian, but if you said really, if there were, if we were keeping score, he's 
from God's point of view, spiritually, I was ineffective, unproductive. The word ineffective literally in Greek means um, not working or unemployed. In other words, I'm not employing what was available to me. I have this power in Christ that God could have given me, but I'm not employing it. Unproductive means fruitless. That's what it means. There is no impact. There's no fruit in my life. Unfortunately, sadly, too many Christians are settling for something far less than what is their rightful ability to have. And they're settling down for that as Christianity. They are settled for, I've come to Jesus, I have my golden ticket when I go to heaven when I die. But they, they just assume God's not going to use me for anything spectacular. Because that was where I was at, right? They settle in. Do you know if you live abnormally long enough, it'll feel normal. And you'll teach your kids that's normal. So today you can be dead, defeated, or dangerous. Dangerous. Jesus didn't die. When I say dangerous, what did I mean by that? Dangerous to the enemy of God. Jesus didn't die to simply keep us safe until heaven. Do you know that? He died to make us dangerous to the agenda of the enemy of man's souls. Faithfulness in the Christian life is not simply holding down the fort. It's storming the gates of hell. That's what the Christian, that's why Jesus, he could have ended it with Adam, right? And the day you sin, you'll surely die. He could have ended it there. He totally would have been just, but somehow he wishes that no man should perish. So I'm going to do something spectacularly amazing. And I'm going to redeem people called my church. And they're going to be open demonstrations of truth. And somehow, somehow their lives are going to be so compelling that I'm going to draw lost rebels back to me. That's the goal, right? So, so that's the purpose of the Christian life. We've been living, we are saved. God died on the cross not to simply watch us struggle for the rest of our lives with our golden ticket. As Christians, we've been created by God for a life of divine impact and divine purpose. You know, in vain, I've looked through the Bible for examples of early believers who live lives marked by weakness, by inhibition, by dullness, by caution. I didn't find them. Instead, I find authentic, fearless, relentless world changers, right? And some of these guys, prior to this encounter with Christ, were totally weak. Prior to the resurrection, you know, Peter, Chris, swore he didn't know him. He was ready to quit. They were all going to go back fishing. But somehow this resurrected Jesus changed these guys into fearless, amazing disciples. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, our life should be so compelling that it makes non-believers question their disbelief in God. Our life should be so compelling. If somebody watched you, if your neighbors are watching you, there should be something so compelling about your life, it would make them say, man, I'm not going to be, I, I should consider what you got going on, right? Now, somebody asked me the question one time, if you were arrested on the charges of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you, right? That's kind of stunning, Right? For Christians, the greatest, our greatest tragedy is not death. That's not the greatest tragedy. For Christians, the greatest tragedy is living a life without our divine purpose being lived out. That's the greatest tragedy. Our divine purpose, our divine God-given, God-empowered purpose. Dangerous. What is dangerous? Dangerous is Romans 8.37. Dangerous Christians are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. In fact, in the Greek, what's the Greek? Anybody know the Greek? Super conquerors. Well, that's not like you're, you're going to get along. Good luck. You're going to be, you'll be good little soul. He said, you're going to be a super conqueror. I want to, I'll sign up for that one. In 2 Corinthians, he says, dangerous Christians have divine power that literally can demolish strongholds. Wow, I haven't you know, unleashed that one lately. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but power, love and a sound mind. John 3, 8, Jesus came to be dangerous. You know what it says? This, it says this. Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. Ta-da! You want to know his purpose? Destroy the devil's work. You know what his purpose is today through you? Destroying the devil's work. Our primary purpose as Christians is to depopulate hell. Right? Primary purpose. Depopulate hell. Um, is, are we, does Satan see us as dangerous? That's the question. Good question to ask. There, there's a great story in the Bible in um, Acts 19, the seven sons of Sceva. You ever read that one? Seven sons of Sceva. 
Um, they are they were uh, the sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva, and they claim to be exorcists. They claim to have this power to to deal with demons and Satan's kingdom, right? Um, and they they go out to these demon possessed people, and the demons speak through these people. Here's what they said to the seven sons of Sceva: uh, Jesus, I know; Paul, I know; but who are you? In other words, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Right? Who are you? No impact. Are you dangerous? See, the Christian life is supernatural. Do you know that? It was, it's a supernatural life. Guess what your part is? Natural. Guess what his part is? Super. You were designed to live a supernatural life. So Ephesians says, uh, super, uh, dangerous Christian is one who is strong in the Lord and the power of his might. John Owen, the great Puritan writer, says, suppose that whatever God requires of us, that we have the power in ourselves to do it, we make the cross and the grace of Jesus Christ to none effect. But there's a secret. There's a secret that changed my life, transformed it from being a good churchgoer with that saw nothing happen. Colossians 1, 26 and 27, there's a verse that says this, the secret. In the Young's literal, literal translation of the Greek language, it says the secret, the secret. Some of your Bibles say the mystery, the secret that's been hidden from ge- ages and generations has now been revealed to the saints. You want to know what that secret is? Here's the secret of the Christian life. Ready? Here's what he says. Christ in you is your only hope of glory. Now, if you read that verse, that's wonderful, but you go, okay, uh, let me explain the word glory, because we get it wrong, because sometimes we take our theology from our hymn books. Glory does not mean heaven. Do you know that? Glory doesn't mean heaven. Heaven will be glorious. Heaven, glory means the likeness and character of God. That's what it means. We, we beheld him, and we dispelled the glory of his, of his Father in heaven. I'll give you some, so, so glory is, is, is the likeness and character of God. John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The likeness, image, or character, the magnificence of God. You want to, Christ in you, his magnificence is in you. Not just your golden ticket. He's actually in you. If you receive Christ by the Holy Spirit, who he lives inside of you, and he's not there to simply be a spectator. Right? Do you know this? He's an active participant. He's critical to the Christian life. In fact, he's imperative. If you want to live out the Christian life in a dynamic, dangerous way, Christ in you is your only hope, by the way. Only hope. It's not you for Jesus. It's Jesus in you. Jesus came to this earth. The Bible said, um, for 33 years, the God of the universe said, I'm going to come become a man because I want to demonstrate to mankind what the relationship with God should be like. So here's what it said. He emptied himself, the Bible says. He emptied himself. And he made himself of no reputation. In Philippians 2, 7, he made himself of no, he took on the guise of a man. He emptied himself. He, he literally for 33 years set aside his prerogatives of deity. He remained God, but he limited himself to a human limitation, right? Because before coming to earth, being a man, he never had to eat. He never had to sleep. He never, right? All these things. But he, why did he do that? Because he wanted to be a faithful high priest that could relate with you. Can you imagine if God never went through a real-life human experience and you go, God, I'm really struggling with this event. This, this is a sin thing in my life. And he'd go, man, I don't understand. Because I'm so up here, I don't understand. He said, I'm going to come down and feel it. The Bible said he was tempted in every way that we are yet without sin. So whatever temptation you've gone through, and you, he said, I've drunk that cup and I drank it to the dregs. So I know, I know, the, I know how hard it is. I know. He's a faithful. He, he, he can comfort us because he says, I understand. But he, he did it without sin. Jesus Christ came to demonstrate the principle, this secret, that the power to live the Christian life is literally God living in us. Remember when Philip, in John 14, 8 and 9, Philip said, Jesus, show us the Father and it will suffice us. If you can just show us God, that's what we're looking for. And he said, he said this, John 14. John 14. Show us the Father. He, he said, Peter, believe us now that I am in the Father, the Father is me, and, and the words I speak to you, I don't speak of myself. But it's the Father, and it literally, right now in me, he's doing the works. For 33 years, when Jesus did these miraculous things, you know what he said? My Father's doing this through me. Because someday when I go away, I will be in you as the Father is in me. I'm going to do, do in you as triune deity through you by the Holy Spirit 
which takes the things of mine and reveals them to you. I'm going to do it through you. Not just by teaching, not just by ideas, and you read them and you just kind of have a little personal pep rally. In fact, interesting, um, finish this verse, John 5, 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus talking. Here's what it says. The son can do nothing by himself. As long as I take on human limitation, so I could really relate with you, while on earth, I have a relationship with my father where I recognize that mankind, apart from God, can do nothing. From an eternal perspective. What? So he said, John 5.30, myself, by myself, I can do nothing. The father in me. He always pointed to the father because he said, I want you to see what I'm doing because I'm, I'm showing you, I'm illustrating what it is to have a relationship with God where you just simply let him do through you what you could never do. How's that? That's a good deal. So what are you, dead or defeated or dangerous? Which one? I'm going to tell you how I discovered this. A little five-year-old kid, I, I, I remember going to church, and, and they talked about there's a God in heaven, and if you don't obey him, you don't come to him, you'll go to hell. And I wasn't really fond of hell. And so I thought, gee, I remember laying under a bed as a little kid. I, remember, I, could, I, could, I could see it. I said, God, don't send me to hell. Now, I don't think that was salvation, but that was a kid saying, I don't want to go to hell. I had a reverence, I had a fear toward, a healthy fear towards God. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? We just want fire insurance. Just God, God keep me out of hell. And then I want to run my own life. Well, I went on uh, from that. I, I, um, my, my parents, my mother, uh, primarily, my dad was there. Every night we had devotions, and my mom really wanted her little boys to come to Jesus. And so we'd have devotions. And we'd roll our eyes going, come on, let's wrap this thing up, right? And so what you realize is it goes faster if you just cooperate, right? So I started to know the verses. I could say the right things. And from my mom's standpoint, I know how to say the right things. I would say, invited Jesus in my heart. In fact, I didn't even know what that meant, right? What do you mean my heart? The blood pump is, I just, but I said those words and I was good. I remember when I was 12 or 13 years old, my mom said, uh, we're taking you to a, a crusade tonight. It was, a, it was um, um, Lowell Lundstrom. Anybody know Lowell Lundstrom? Sisters, South Dakota. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I did not want to go. I went, I didn't like the music. I was with my friend Tom Mason. We goofed off the whole time, right? But somehow Lowell Lundstrom at the end, and it wasn't because of his great oratory skills, but God said, I'm going to touch that little boy's heart. I stopped. And he talked about a savior that died on a cross and that I'm a sinner and that he wants to have a relationship with me. But I literally need to invite him into my life. John 1.12 says, to as many as receive him. To those who believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. I was a believer. Some of you are believers in Jesus, but the question is, did I receive him? How do you receive Jesus? Well, I knew my wife before I received her, walked down an aisle, said two magical words that changed me magically into a husband. What were those two words? I do. Do you accept this Jesus to be the only way to salvation? Do you believe that he died on your behalf? Do you believe that you need a savior? Do you believe that you're a sinner? And, and will you invite him to come into the kingdom of your life? Will you step aside? And you know what I said? I do. I do. I told my, wife, my mom that night that I, Mama, I prayed that prayer with that guy tonight. Ooh, it's true. But now I'm thinking, man, I'm going to start on this brand new adventure, right? It was exciting that, that now I really did come to Christ. I, I, I was sure that I had the golden ticket. I was sure that, that I really meant it as a little 12-year-old, the best I could do. I thought, this is going to be exciting. And I, I thought, uh, now my job is to pay this Jesus back. But it wasn't long, weeks or months ahead, and some of you know this, that my enthusiasm waned, right? I didn't want to not become a Christian. I didn't say I wasn't a Christian, but I just didn't have a passion anymore. My prayers were... Less or they were cold, and my if I had devotions, they became just shallow, right? And I began to think in my head, this Christian living, this Christian life, I thought it must be just, it's not just, it's not exciting. It must be difficult. It must be difficult. So I added more Christianity. I added more activity. I thought I started at, attended church on uh, Wednesday and twice on Sunday. I used to tell people I had a drug problem. People, my mother dr drug me to church on Wednesdays twice on Sunday. Um, 
I started going to uh, Bible camps, right? Bible camps where the people are family camp right now. Um, I, I, I went to um, youth conference, um, youth conference. Any kids go to youth, youth conference, youth conference, right? Youth conference. And they preach at you and they say, you got to be better. You got to come to Jesus. Give your all to Jesus. And I would go f- up front and say, yeah, okay. Then maybe I need to just be more. I just need to kind of tell God I'm going to try harder one more time, right? And I did that. I can't tell you how many times. I had multiple dedications and rededications, sometimes in tears. I thought maybe I need more Bible education, so I thought I'm going to go to Bible college. I went to Northwestern Bible College for one-year Bible, and that's what I need. I just need more info is what I need. So I went there, and I could debate you on pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. I said finally when I got out, I'm a pan-millennialist. It'll all pan out in the end, right? But I said, this Christian life, if Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have a super abundant. This is not what I really expected. Have you, ever, have you ever thought that? I mean, honestly, think about it. Is this, is this as good as it gets? Is this it? I used to look around and kind of be frustrated because you always see this one guy or three, several people that you know that life seems to, they seem to be sharing their faith and people come to Christ. But I always felt like that never happened with me. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe God just has special people, right? Billy Graham, he's special. Maybe special people. That's not true, by the way, but I thought that. After all my human attempts to live the Christian life, I was frustrated. I thought I could live the Christian life by, by just human effort. The Galatian church, Paul speaks to me in Galatians 3.3, 3, said, you foolish, in fact, here's what the Amplified says. This is great. You foolish, misguided, and ignorant Galatians. How do you like a letter like that one? Who has bewitched you, cast a spell of you? That which you began in the spirit, you couldn't save yourself. You now think that you'll reach your goal by human effort. Literally, he's saying, are you that stupid? You couldn't save yourself by your best efforts. You can't live the Christian life simply by your best efforts. It took all of God to do your salvation. It takes all of God. The salvation doesn't just start when you get your golden ticket. The salvation starts when the, when the Savior lives inside the kingdom of your life to live out and be, continue to do through you what he began in his own body. That's the Christian life, by the way. Zerubbabel said, it's not by power nor by might. It's by my spirit. It's by my spirit. If you want to know what the secret is, it's by my spirit inside of you. I, um, so I went to Northwestern and I had all this Bible. I'm thinking, gosh, that hasn't really done it either. I'm really frustrated. My friend went off to Torchbury Bible School over in England and he sends me the book, Saving Life of Christ, which I gave to your pastor. Your pastor has had it back here. Some of you have read it. He sends it to me and I'm not a, a, a big reader, but God has been doing this work in my life. And, and sometimes a great place to be is when God makes you frustrated enough where you're kind of desperate saying there's got to be something more. And, and I'm hungry for just what's the deal, right? He sends me this book, Saving Life of Christ. And I, I, rem- I only read the first couple of pages. And I remember something about, um, are you trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps? I'm thinking, that, that little line, that was, that was me, because it wasn't for lack of trying. It wasn't for lack of sincerity, but it just doesn't seem to work. And then I read two verses. John 15, 5. Jesus said this, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do how much? I looked up the word nothing in Greek. You know what it means? Nothing. Nothing. I was trying to do everything. And he said, apart from me, in you, you can do nothing. From, from the supernatural life, you can't, just so you know, you can't do it. Nothing. And I remember the next verse that I read while I was on this airplane heading to a spring break for Campus Crusade for Christ. I read that front part of that book. That it was John fifteen five. Apart from you, I can do nothing. And then I, I read Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things. You can do all things. In fact, the Amplified says you're, uh, you're capable, you're infused with inner strength. Christ in you, you can do all, you, the things I want you to do, all those things, I can do them through you. I'm not here to watch you. I'm here to empower you. And the enemy wants to have you go to sleep and think you can do this on your own because he is not afraid of me and he's not afraid of you. The church is the church when it's empowered by Christ. That's your song today. Church, we need your power. I can do all things. The Amplified says, I have strength for all things through Christ who empowers me. I'm ready for anything, equal to anything, through him who literally infuses me with inner strength. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. That's a cool verse. In other words, Jesus says, I, I, I have been trying 
Dave, you've been trying to live in your human strength what I've been waiting to do by my supernatural strength through you. So I go down on this trip, and I'm thinking on the airplane, and saying, God, is this, wow, I've been trying to live for you. Maybe that was my problem. I've been trying to live this Christian life with my own enthusiasm. And here these two verses say you can live with me. But am I creating some new kind of cult idea? Is this like a, some kind of side? Is this right? But God, I, I love what the Bible says. Come, let us reason together. I'm talking to God say, God, I need you to help me collate this thing and work it out. Because if this is true, this could be great. But it almost sounds like too good to be true, right? But I said, God, if this is true, will you? In, I'd like to know this. I really want to know this. And here's what it says. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be filled. I was hungry. Sometimes you have to be at the end of your own failures before you realize you're hungry. You have to be frustrated before you're hungry. And say, God, I need you. I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I'm gonna, I think I th- if this is true, I'm going to need you. I go down and, and uh, because I went from Northwestern Bible College at that time, Paul Cox was the speaker. I don't even know what, who, where he's from, but he was the speaker. And that night, um, he spoke on be honest with God when you pray. Because he said he already knows what you're thinking, so be honest with him, right? And that was his topic. And I thought, oh, that makes a lot of sense, right? No sense fooling him. You know, how many times we pray things that God goes, is that really what you mean, right? You know, when we sing a song, Lord, I need you. Are you really, God, you really mean? I think he wants me to be honest with him, right? Come let us reason together. Let's just talk it out. So I remember they, uh, the service is done, and, and they said, now we're all going to go out, and then we're going to go witness on the beaches of uh, Daytona. We're going to go down to the boardwalk, and uh, we're going to share Jesus with strangers. So my prayer was, God, that's not really my thing, right? Because it wasn't my thing, right? It's very uncomfortable, and I didn't know, you know, my life was, I remember I'm the frustrated one. Can you imagine trying to be the frustrated one telling people about Jesus? It's like the guy that sells the Electrolux vacuum cleaner at your house. It doesn't really work for him, but he's going to try to sell you on it. He's just going to repeat what he learned at the big conference, right? But I remember saying, God, I, that's not my thing. But you said, you said, John 15, you could do everything to me. I don't know what that, God, I need to know if that's true. I, God, would you, I need to see what you need to do. And then I had this big 10-pound Bible that I, I don't know why I brought it with me, but I bought it from my friend Tom's mom. It was a PTL Bible. And I'm thinking, oh, now I've got to drag this baby around, right? And before we left, they hit with these 10, they call them four spiritual laws. Now they call them knowing God personally, okay, uh, little tracks on how to come to Christ. They give you a bunch of them and stuff them in my Bible. I think, oh, gosh, now I've got to kind of hide this Bible, and I've got to walk up and down this boardwalk where all these people are. And this was not my thing. And I'm walking down the boardwalk, and all of a sudden, a guy sitting on a park bench goes, Hey! Hey! I said, Yes. He goes, What do you got in your hand there? I said, uh, It's a Bible. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, can I see it? Okay. He opens it up. I swear. It, these four spiritual laws fall on the ground. He goes, What are those? I, I literally looked up in the night sky and said, God, this is not funny. Right? This is not funny. And so we get to go through those laws with this guy sitting on a park bench. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm really practical. That could have been just an amazing coincidence. But God, if this is you, this was, this was, first of all, God had to have a good laugh, right? Are you getting this, Dave? Are you picking up on this one? Because I'm kind of thick, so he has to kind of give me really good clues. And, um, but I, I saw myself uh, sharing these four spiritual laws. And throughout the week, he began to um, do something in me where he brought me to different people and I began to share no longer out of duty. Something was happening inside of me. And I'm getting to share Christ. One time I thought a guy was going to stab me because I'm on the beach all alone. This kind of, it was bike week the week before and this biker guy is behind me. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm, this is like, I could hear the, uh, 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 the songs like he's going to die. And it wasn't, I didn't die. And um, next thing you know, he's just a beat down guy who's just, life is just turned upside down on him. And I get to, I'm sharing because I, I want to. And my fear goes away. By the end of the week, I became convinced that that must be the secret. The last night, I'm walking down Atlantic Avenue. My, my hotel is the C-Dip Hotel, which is this cruddy hotel that only a college student would stay at. And um, so I'm walking down. It's about a mile and a half down there where I can see it. And I'm saying, God, thank you that you've taught me this. And God, if that's true, I just want you to know, God, I'm available. If you need me to do something, I'd, be, I'd like to see what you want to do through me because this would be great. And I'm walking, and here's a girl walking, and I, I walk up beside her. I was going to walk past her, and also I turn to her. And for the first time in my life, I see this girl. Her name was Sally Bennett. I look at her. Have you ever saw somebody right when you see him? You could, I, 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 I could see pain in her heart and her eyes. You ever seen one of those people? 
I would, I could, can I just tell you what David Dwight would have done prior to this Jesus encounter? I would have kept walking because that's not my problem, right? I mean, I would have had a moment saying, oh, too bad for her. But it's like, I, I'm just way too selfish for all this, right? But I realized when I said, Jesus, do whatever you need to do. God is not selfish. He's giving and caring and loving. And so he said, I want to see through your eyes. I want to speak through your mouth and I want to love through your heart. And Sally says, uh, I used to, I work up there, top of the boardwalk. I'm a cocktail waitress. She said, but uh, my life is really turned upside down. My parents have disowned me. And I'm being abused by my boss and I have a boyfriend that's abusive. And I, I got a drug problem that literally is going to kill me. I got to share with her till about 2, 3 in the morning and, and with Sally and prayed with her. And I'm thinking, and because I really wanted to, right? It wasn't like, oh, this is part of my Christian duty. Uh, I did. I mean, I, had compa- I, had, I felt compassion. So, in fact, it's kind of funny. When Jesus is working in me, I find myself doing stuff that David Twite would never do, right? Because then I could say, um, I can't glory in that because I would never have done that. But I'm not doing it because I'm supposed to. It's doing it because I'm compelled to. And I'm sharing Jesus with her. So I get to share Jesus with her. And I said, Sally, here's a payphone that was outside of my hotel that night. And I said, I got to go to bed, but he, I'm going to go. I'm going to be up here at like 9 or 10 o'clock or 10, 10, 15, I think I told. Will you call this phone at 10 o'clock tomorrow? I want to hear how you're doing. I'm going to pray for you and hope things go well for you. Uh, 10, 10, 15, the phone rings. It's Sally Bennett. Goes, Dave, hi. Oh, hi. Oh, I, I, di- I, didn't, I didn't go to my house with my boyfriend last night. I went to a friend's house and I, I flushed my drugs down the toilet. I said, oh, good. That's probably good, right? And she said, um, I've been read- you told me to read the book of John. I've been reading all night long. I'm in the book of Revelation right now. What is the red horse and what is the black horse in Revelation? I'm going, uh, Sally, you need to slow down, all right? Uh, that's beautiful. I don't know. I don't know. But I will... Will you write me? I got to go, but this is cool. I'll pray with you, and I'll write me and let me know how you're doing. Okay, I had a quick phone call with her on that, but that was kind of cool. Well, I got a letter in the mail at my house from Sally Bennett, and here's what it said. Dave, you don't realize that that night that you saw me, my life was so horrible. I had no hope, no hope. Before you crossed my, before I, I, you saw me, she said, I looked up into the stars and she said, God, if you're out there, because tonight I'm going to kill myself. The next line said this, God found me on Atlantic Avenue. God found me on Atlantic Avenue. She never mentioned my name, never thanked me for my ministry. She said, God found me. God needed to do that for me. He goes, are you getting this? Are you writing this down? Right? God is a searching God, a seeking God. He, he's near to the brokenhearted. She was brokenhearted, and he, she's crying out in desperation. And he said, hey, here's Dave Twite. He's finally crazy enough to just let me do through him what, I could, what he could never do on his own. Changed my life. Came home and began to find out that I'm working at ShopGo stores. My, people would come up and ask me questions that totally led to a Jesus thing. And all of a sudden, I'm compelled. My Bible became more exciting because I'm thinking, wow, this is kind of cool that, that God actually is going to use me because he never used me. It was always that other person because I thought if he would use me, I'd be disqualified, right? That was the, that was the secret. Christ in you is the secret. I had to become convinced that I could not live the Christian life before I was willing to surrender to the fact that Christ must do, it, must do it. In fact, if you haven't come to a conclusion that you can't do it, here's what I'm going to tell you. Knock yourself out, right? If you think you can live the Christian life in your own enthusiasm and pay God back, I'm going to say knock yourself out. Work at it harder because you'll get to the end faster, right? In order to be saved, we had to come to the conclusion that we're hopelessly lost, right? If you think you're somewhat saved already... You don't ever need a Savior. But Jesus didn't die to save you just from your sins. He died to live his life in you, to save you from the weakness of you and me. I had to graduate from a school of frustration and failure. I had to graduate from a school of frustration and failure where I said, this does not work. Most of the Old Testament saints graduated from that same school of failure. Moses was a failure, hopeless failure. He murdered an Egyptian, hit him in the desert, had to fail. Jacob was a failure. He was a con man and a liar. Isaiah had to realize that he's a man of unclean lips. David, the man after God, was an adulterer. So somehow you think you're disqualified. And he, these people had to fail and say, God, if anything great is going to happen, it's going to have to be you. Jesus didn't die simply to get you out of hell. 
Jesus died to get God out of heaven into you. You know, there are Christians that have a life. They've never fully lived it yet. They've come to Christ and thank him for what he did, but they don't live in the power of who he is. Romans 5.10, there's a great verse, Romans 5.10. For if we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through his death. That means when you were saved, when we were enemies, we were reconciled by his death. Then he goes on, how much more? What? There's something more than his death for me that gave me the golden ticket? He says, how much more? There's something more. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his indwelling resurrection life? Saved from what? I thought his death on the cross did that. Saved from you. Saved from the futility of human effort to live out the Christian life. If you can live the Christian life in your own, Christian, in your own human effort, guess who gets the glory if you do something great? You do. The Bible says, no one will glory in my sight. The only good thing in David Dwight is Jesus Christ. But he transforms ordinary, and he puts the extra in the ordinary. He makes you extraordinary. To me, I'll quickly illustrate this to you. This flashlight was fearfully and wonderfully made. It was made for a purpose by a creator. Can you imagine it came into creation and, and it looked at its little self and said, wow, what, what, is, my, what is my purpose in life? And, and th- because there's something that's missing in my life. And it says, well, well, maybe what I'll do is I'll become a paperweight. And it becomes a paperweight. And it lives its life as a paperweight. You know what it says? Eh, something's missing. I think I was made for something more spectacular than that. So, out of frustration, it becomes a doorstop. Not a very good doorstop. Stops the door a little bit, but tips over. That's not it. Goes through life trying to find things to give it purpose and meaning and significance. Somebody said, maybe you need religion. Goes to a church. And the church had a sermon. Pastor Flashlight. Know what he said? You need to be the light of the world. You know, he said, I do. I do. I do. Go home and try, so I go home and try to be this light of the world, but somehow there's what he realizes I, I can't do it. I've, try, I've tried, I've, I've shined up my little fill, my little thing, and I try to reflect off of things that I read, but there's no, no life in me. Can you imagine the prayers that next night that out of desperation, out of frustration, this little flashlight, out of the failure of trying to do it by itself, and said, I, I, God, I can't do this. He said, Good, I never said you could. I never said you could. Remember, apart from me, you can do nothing. But I always said I would if you let me. What do you mean? You see, you were designed by me. There's an emptiness in your life that Blaise Pascal, the father of the modern-day computer, called it a God-shaped hole in the life of every person that God will fill. Not just salvation for our soul, but he comes and lives his life in you. He doesn't live his life in you to be a spectator. He comes to be a participant. Can you imagine that he said, if you would allow me to come live my life in you, I'd just put that back. Do it us. Oh, can you imagine that moment? All of a sudden, it's like, wow, this is what I, this is, this, this is it. This was my life. This was my life. I tried everything to shine the filament, to, to shine the outside of the flashlight, to do my best to show up at flashlight conventions and everything else. But to me, it took the power. Even his own disciples, he said, do you want to do ministry? Go tarry in Jerusalem. Better wait there because um, until you are endued with power on high. Don't, don't try. Please don't try. Peter, don't try. Just keep. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come and... At the, at the, at the uh, Pentecost, I'm going to come and by my spirit live my life inside of you. And these weak disciples, unschooled ordinary men, remember that was the title. They were called, the people called them unschooled ordinary men, the Greek word idiotes. Right? The idiotes get this power from on high. You know what it says? Here's what their, their detractors said about them they're turning the world upside down. That's exploits. That's what I want to do. I don't know about you, but it, do, hey, here's the good news. Here's where I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll land the plane here. If you're here today, if you're dead, if you're saying, I'm not sure I'm alive in Christ. The Bible says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. If you say, Dave, I'm not really sure. The Bible says, make your calling and election sure, right? Make it certain. If you, if you say, I think, well, I believe in Jesus. The, no, no, remember there's two things. Believe and receive. If you've, ever received, if you've never received Christ, it's simply saying, God, I need a Savior. I believe you died on the cross. And when you died on the cross, you paid for my sin. I need you to come live inside of me. Make me the person you created me to be. If you're dead. If you're defeated, 
You need to say, God, I can't do it. <laughs> and God, I need to let you do it through me. Um, guess what? God will, uh, if we, sometimes we say, God, will you give me, will you give me, will you give me more of your spirit? If, if, if you're sa- saved, how much of your spirit do you have of, of God? All of him. The Bible says when you have Christ, the Bible says in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. So how many times have you begged God for stuff, and he's saying, I already, in Christ, I've already given you that, right? If you receive Christ, the problem is you didn't turn the switch of faith on, right? You didn't get it. You didn't realize that he's inside of you, but this is a switch of faith. And when you turn the switch of faith on and say, God, in Jesus, all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. So God, I want to claim your promise that you live in me. Yes, Jesus Christ. God, I need more peace. Oh, I put the Prince of Peace in you, by the way. He's in you. Yes, 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 I'll give you peace, right? God, I need more love. I have the God who is love, Jesus, and he lives inside of you. Guess what? You'll love, right, through me. This is, this is how the Christian life works. This is the Christian life. Because if you do that, you'll be dangerous. You'll be dangerous. I don't know where you're at today with all of this. But I had a whole different sermon. They called me two weeks ago. They said, what do you want to talk about? I said, boy, if I have one, if I could just come and say, this is, if there are people, these are people who love Jesus, but within every congregation, I don't care which one, yours or mine, okay? There are people that have been saved, born again their whole life, but they're a little bit frustrated. And if that's you today, I'm going to tell you, you got, you're in a good spot right now because you're on a threshold of discovering that you can't do it. And somehow you, the enemy wants to say, oh, what he's saying, and maybe that worked for him, but it won't work for you, Right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. In fact, if you don't believe that he can, the Bible says don't expect to see anything from him. So if you have a problem believing that, the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, get in the word of God until you become convinced that he will do exactly what he said. He's the way. He's the way to Christianity. He said so. I'm the way. He's the truth that you're looking for, by the way. And he's not just the way. He is the life. He's the life in you. He's the life. You want eternal life? You know what eternal life is? Eternal life isn't that destination after you die. That's not eternal life. Eternal life is when the one who is eternal lives his life in you. How's that? And today, if you're here, Jesus has come to me, all you that labor and heavy laden and overburdened and overstressed. I'm going to give you rest for your soul. If you're burned out, if you're tired, if you're saying, I'm a little frustrated, come to, come, come to me. I'm going to give you rest for your soul. If you're dead, you come to me, I'm going to give you rest for your soul because I've paid for the penalty of your sin. I shed my blood and I'm your payment in full on the cross. I'm the life. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you didn't die to simply watch us struggle. Thank you that you died because you love every one of us and you died to shed your blood that we might be redeemed of all of our sin, that you paid the penalty that, God, we, we owe. And, God, you gave it to us as a gift that we don't deserve. This is amazing. But you didn't just cleanse the deck of our life so you could. And thank you that your divine pie, will, me and my Father, will make our home in you. And thank you that your divine power gives us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. Now, God, in this place, I pray that your spirit is moving and that if anyone here is saying, God, that's me, that's me, may this be a day where you say, God, have your way with me, God. Every day, God, I I have to get out of your way, but I'll have to let you do it. God, I will cooperate with you and I will seek you and I will throw off the sin that so easily besets me because those are things that grieve and quench the spirit's power and life. And God, I will let you do whatever exploits you want to do to touch this world. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.